0: Welcome to the New Life Ministries podcast. Today's talk leans into the question, why were people so upset that Jesus healed on the Sabbath? What did it communicate to them that we miss? Let's join our worship gathering as we begin to look at John chapter 5 together.
1: Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day. Today we're going to look at the book of John chapter 5. If you've got a Bible and you want to open it up, To those of you listening on the recording, welcome to you. I'm glad you've joined us. Uh, You are welcome to join us for the first part of this service, which is not recorded. If you'd like to do that, just send a, a note to the email address that is on the description, and we will send you the Zoom link. So when I was in seminary, we had to learn all kinds of different aspects of theology and the various terms for those theologies. And there is no end to the different thoughts on, on how it all works in theology and the planet. And so one day, I mean again, after a couple of years of all this, the terms all start to become blurry. So there was one day when we were discussing the way God sustains his creation. The idea that God keeps creation going by his direct action. So God didn't just wind up the planet and is letting it run its course, but he actively keeps it moving you could say that God has his foot on the gas pedal. And if God were to take his foot off the gas pedal, all of creation would stop. So at the time when I was in seminary, Star Trek The Next Generation was very popular. And if you've ever seen Star Trek The Next Generation, you know about the holodeck. It's kind of like a games room, which could be transformed into whatever environment was necessary or whatever environment you wanted. But when the holodeck was turned off, it all stopped and disappeared. And so to help us remember the sustaining work of God in creation, a few of us decided to call it holodeck theology. Creation only exists for as long as God wills for it to exist. So, you know, move forward by a couple of weeks, one day we're in class having a discussion, and whatever point I was trying to make to my Old Testament professor required that I reference the sustaining work of God in creation. And so I said, yes, it's holodeck theology. And he paused and looked at me like, this was a phrase he'd never heard before. And it was this great moment to stump the professor. And then I explained what I meant by holodeck theology, and he got the point, and the conversation continued. So this idea that God keeps creation to held together and moving forward at every moment Uh, and keeps it moving by an act of his will. That's not new thinking. This thinking already existed in the time of Jesus. To the Jews, it was one of the things that God continued to do, even on the Sabbath day. And if you remember, the Sabbath day was a day of rest. God rested from the work of creation on the seventh day back in Genesis, and his people too were required to rest on the seventh day. However, God, being God, had a special right or a special prerogative on that day to do a few extra things. And what did he do on the Sabbath day? Well, one thing was he sustained creation. You know, holodeck theology. And what was the other thing that God could do on the Sabbath? Well, only God could give life or take life. And just just as some people are born on a Sabbath or die on a Sabbath... God clearly was involved in that work as well. So God, on his Sabbath day, on the Sabbath, God could keep creation going and he could give life or take life. But that's the only work that God had permission to do uh, on the Sabbath. And humans, because we are not God, could not work on the Sabbath. With me? That is background for the passage we read today. So let's look at John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Now your Bible likely has a footnote here, and the footnote says, "'From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. Verse five, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and will come out. Those who have done what is good will rise and live. Those who have done what is evil will rise and be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. We'll stop there. If you've been following along in the book of John, you'll see that familiar structure again, where there's a setup. This is the location. And then there's a story, a dialogue. And then there's a teaching. And the story or the dialogue connects with the teaching. And I say that because the first couple times I read this passage, I did not see how these all fit together. But I knew that structurally they did, so I had to spend some time pondering it. Can you see that Jesus, in the story, gave life to a man on the Sabbath? He gave life to a man on the Sabbath, a work only God has permission to do. And so then Jesus addresses their concern. Who are you to do what only God has permission to do? So let's review this story and dig into it. The disabled man is by a pool called Bethesda. So the site is kind of like two square pools side by side. It still exists. And it's surrounded by four covered hallways and then a fifth hallway in the middle, kind of like a digital number eight. And folklore had it that when the water was stirred, the first person into the pool was healed. Now they've found that there's a natural spring underneath this pool that every once in a while erupts with bubbles. Um, So that part happens. The whole healing part is what we have from the story. So Jesus turns to the man and says, do you want to get well? And what caught my attention was his response. I have no one to help me into the pool. He didn't say, yes, I want to get well. Can Can you help me? Instead, he answers from his own framework on the only way to get well. I have to get into the pool. That is what we are like. Do you want to get well? Yes, but I need more money, because money's the only way I know to be well. Do you want to get well? Yes, but my spouse needs to change and won't, and that's the only way I know to get well. Do you want to get well? Yes but I need a sexual partner, blah, 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 blah. For yourself, do you want to get well? What would be your gut instinct? There will be something. And I mention this because our way to get well might not be Jesus' way for us to get well. And that's a thing to process, that what I am adamant that I need to get well might not be it because if you can surrender that, and then you turn to Jesus, you're going to be far more curious about who this Jesus guy is, and how he does what he does, and why he does it. Like, if you realize, if you're willing to say, what I've been trying to do my whole life isn't working, but Jesus says he'll make me well, okay, who is this guy, and what is he about? Like, your curiosity becomes more intense, and that's exactly what the second half of this passage is answering that intensity of who are you how do you do what you do and why do you do it which is why i think in verse 24 we get this great proclamation of faith when jesus you want to get well verse 24 whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life a life now that erupts and continues through eternity and a line later A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So we've got our setup. You with me? Jesus tells the man what to do and the man shows us the example, right? Gives us our example. He takes Jesus at his word and obeys. He does what Jesus says and he is instantly healed. He picks up his mat and walks. But it is the Sabbath. And the folks around him say, what are you doing? It's the Sabbath. It's against the law to carry your mat on the Sabbath. Now, you might ask, was it against the law? Like, did Jesus violate the law when he healed? Did he ignore God's teaching? Because if he did... If he violated the law, that means he's competing against God. That's, that would mean that he believes he is equal with and different from and in competition with the Father, and he's now choosing, challenging you to decide your allegiance. Right. We'll get there. Yes. But at this point, they're asking the question, What's the authority that you do this? And are you challenging our worship of the Father? So that's a big question. And the question now makes actually a lot of sense. Except here's the thing. It actually wasn't in the Torah. It wasn't against the law to carry your mat. Um, The Torah, the law, said that you could not work on the Sabbath. And you could not make others work for you on the Sabbath. But this could hardly be called work. This is much more pick up your stuff, don't leave it behind, you know, pick up your mat, take it home, clean up after yourself. This has nothing to do with work. And there's also a couple of passages in the history books where uh, God's people or some group of God's people is reprimanded for working on the Sabbath, but it's about carrying a load or carrying a burden, um, bringing something into the market. Um, And again, so it's about, they were trying to find a way, like how much work can we do on on the Sabbath? Um, and so there was a reprimand there, but that's, again, not our situation. Uh, Their law about not carrying a mat was how their culture was applying Scripture at that time. So Jesus is not breaking Scripture. He's breaking their particular application of Scripture at that time, Um, which in the end, as Steve pointed out, their application of Scripture had actually come to be against what God's plan was, which was to do good on all days. And if you wanna make it more interesting, in the law, you were allowed to carry a person on a mattress on the Sabbath, but you were not allowed to carry a mattress on the Sabbath. So The people are confused. How can Jesus be healing on the Sabbath? Is he claiming to be a higher authority than our God? Is he challenging the worship of our God? And so then Jesus responds to their concern, and he says, my father is always at his work, to this very day, and I too am working. And I already mentioned, they believe God had the right to do a special work on the Sabbath that they did not have. He gives life, he sustains creation. So, for example, if the water in the pool had been stirred on the Sabbath, would a person have been allowed to go into it? Well, if the water was stirred, that would be seen as an act of God, so yes, you'd be allowed to be healed because God is working. So Jesus does that same healing, but by his spoken word. So it's, it's confusing, right? It seems like Jesus is challenging their allegiance to God. It sounds, like Jesus, it sounds like Jesus is saying, I have the right to heal on the Sabbath as well. And so their objection's not about the healing It's about the authority. What's his agenda? And then he goes on and says he calls God Father, which would not be something the average Jew would do. We think of Father and Sons in biological terms, and we think of them as separate individuals. There's a Father, and then there's a Son. They're two separate people. But in the day, that's not how it worked. To be the Son was to be like the father, to act like the father, to be, uh, to be almost the same as the father or a new representation of the father. The son was, or a good son, was to learn the father's trade. The good son would learn to mimic the father's personality. If the father was kind, the son would be kind. If the father was strong, the son would be strong. So for Jesus to call God Father was to suggest he had a more intimate connection with God than the rest of humanity. So, to the crowd, they're hearing Jesus claim a special authority to do what only God can do, and now to claim a special intimacy with the Father above what all humans have. Well, this is crazy. Like, it's nonsense. This is crazy talk. And so, then Jesus explains the relationship. And I want you to, as I read verse 19, consider the love that Jesus is talking about between him and the Father and how their concept of Son and Father is exactly what he's trying to say. Jesus gives them this answer, verse 19. Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus is not acting independently from God or acting as a competitor to God's authority. Instead, it's perfect obedience. It's perfect loyalty. And in return, the Father shows the Son what he is doing and gives him the responsibility to do it. And with that responsibility comes the authority to do it. It's the perfect definition of father and son in how they conceived of those words. So much so that the father entrusts over to Jesus the role of judge, the role of deciding who gets life and who gets death. And then in fact God shares his honor with Jesus. Remember in the Old Testament it says several times God will not share his glory with another. We've encountered that phrase in the Old Testament. Here, he is sharing his honor with Jesus, which means Jesus has a kind of closeness with the Father that we do not have. It's a oneness that God will share His glory. So this is an in, this is incredible. I want to pause. How does this affect how you relate with Jesus? This, this has kind of been on my mind more i understand what jesus is like with the father or who he is i've been drawn to think about how does this affect how i relate with jesus um, this week i was emailing with another leader um, and he was sending me a note on his personal values uh, and one of his values was god has never disappointed with me and i have never disappointed god and i and i kind of wrote back and said that that doesn't fit how I conceive of God or my experience with God, can we clarify? Because sentences can be interpreted in different ways, as as we know. And after a little bit of discussion, I realized there's a difference between, I am disappointed in you, or that was disappointing to me. And to say, you know, as a parent to a child, that was disappointing. That's a sentence we would say. But for a parent to say to a child, you are a disappointment to me, that's crushing. And that's not something God says. And so as we were talking, I then was thinking about this passage that Jesus uh, is the son to the father and that Jesus does exactly what the father does and that Jesus has been entrusted with the role to give life. And I thought, man, if, if the father ever seems too complex or too grand or too far away or too holy to comprehend... Jesus is so clear and accessible and approachable. You know, if you've ever wanted to come to the Father with a request that's something like, please lead me away from this particular temptation. You know, we know that this is where I succumb. To put that before the Father can seem so hard, especially if, you know, I conceive of God as strongly holy. But if I then turn to Jesus, it just seems so easy. Jesus, you know me you know what it is to be human can you lead me away from this temptation or uh, you know when it comes to praying for forgiveness either for myself or praying for forgiveness for somebody else to approach Jesus and say Jesus you're the judge you give life and the father sent you so that I would understand this better can you forgive or could you forgive this other person? And whether, or, you know, expand it on. Lord, here's a healing. Jesus, I need healing. Here's the issue I have in my life. Like, Jesus just seems so accessible, so available. And I think that's part of what Jesus is trying to say. You know how we've looked in the book of John at at the signs in the book of John, and we've seen it clearly, this is a sign, this is a sign. Well, now in the book, that goes silent. The signs are there, but we have to discover them. And so here is a sign that Jesus has the authority to do what only God can do, and yet Jesus is saying, I am so accessible. It's like, okay, now I'm, I'm getting a better picture of things. The relationship between father and son, between Jesus and the father, leads us to thoughts about the Trinity. And one of the church fathers Tertullian introduced an idea that God is one in substance and yet three in persons. But that phrase gets misunderstood because one in substance does not mean they are of the same physical matter or of the same spiritual matter. Instead, it's about property rights. You know, property rights, who owns this particular land? Who owns the property of being God? Who holds claim on the attributes of God? And so that's the substance. And then the persons are legal terms. Who are the legal parties in this contract who have claim on the property of God? And so the Father, Son, and Spirit are all three persons who own the substance of being God. Jesus the incarnation of God, is the exact duplicate of the Father. So the Father can share with Jesus his glory, can share with Jesus the right to judge, can share the the ability to give life. And then Jesus still seeks to bring the Father glory by saying, you must believe in the one who sent me. Jesus honors the Father. The Father honors Jesus. So if we go back to our story in verse 14, later Jesus found the man at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. In their culture, it was assumed that if you were ill, it was because of sin, either something you did or something your parents did. And we understand that's not a hard and fast rule. Um, Sometimes illness just happens because we live on a broken planet. Other times our choices end up with us being broken. Let's say there was something this man had done that he thought caused his illness, something he had done that he thought, this is why I'm here. To be miraculously healed might communicate, I got away with it. I sinned and I was healed, I'm forgiven. Now I know how it works. Jesus is the guy who controls life. I can go sin and then come and be healed. I can get away with it. And Jesus says, no, that's not the path. That's not how this works. And so in that little line, we see Jesus expressing his role as judge and the giver of life by this warning. That's not the path. So let me let me just summarize where we've been. Jesus asks a man who was an invalid for 38 years if he wants to get well. And the man says, I have no one to help me the way I think I need to get help. Jesus heals on the Sabbath, he gives life, a work only God had permission to do on the Sabbath. And the people are upset and confused. What does it mean that Jesus is doing what only the Father can do? And Jesus answers by explaining, he is the Son, the only one who does what the Father does. And the Father, in his love for the Son, shows him what he's doing. The son has been given to have life in himself, to be judge and to receive honor. But Jesus does not seek to please himself, but to please the one who sent him. How does this understanding of Jesus affect your conversation with the father or your conversation with Jesus when you need help, when you want to ask for help? So what has caught your attention in all of this this morning?
0: Two, just a, sh- a little short one first to response to your disappointment comment. Um, that whole idea was something that I remember being feeling like I was hitting my head against a hard thing uh, a while ago, realizing that it's actually not possible for God to be disappointed with us because a disappointment means I was really hoping for something and it didn't work out or you didn't do it or you didn't come through. And God never hopes for something with his whole heart that we then don't do. We never surprise or shock God that way. And so there's other things going on, but that is not one of them. And when we are raised in a, a, whatever cultural situation was going on in our homes, um, where we felt like we were a disappointment, um we get used to that dynamic oh i'm just
2: uh, letting people
0: down or i'm just not uh, i think i'm doing the right thing but they all think i'm doing the wrong thing like it's this whole dynamic that we're used to in our human relationships and to say that's actually not possible for that to be how god is trying to interact with you is kind of shocking god is never going oh crap duh you know because he was never hoping for something that you then don't do you'd never surprise him he's like yep there it is there's that bad thing he wants something different for you often or he wishes for something else for you he's trying to get somewhere else with you but he's not disappointed ever yeah. which is kind of fascinating
1: right and that's exactly what my friend was That's exactly what he's trying to get across yeah
0: because especially if you grow up with a lot of people being feeling just dis- that you are a disappointment that's a, that's a shocking thing to to realize is actually true the other piece is, it feels like there's two points in this story where first, what the guy, and then the group, the the, the pedestrians around, all kind of were having this like moment of, oh, you know, like you are having this frustrating conversation, or something that they want, or something that they thought was supposed to happen was not going. I I know what I need to do, and I can't do it, and I want to eat, uh, you know, I want to get in, but I can't. That guy's faster, he's closer, and then. Um, those other guys going wait you know you can't you can't carry that you can't heal people what's going on here they're having these these frustrating conversations and in both cases Jesus is trying to have a different conversation with them he's trying to for the first guy go do you actually want to get well is that the main point of this whole thing where you're getting someone to carry you here every single day or you're camping out or whatever it is you're doing is that the whole point is that what you really want because let's talk about that and the guy goes off on a tangent and he's like, well, hang on, let's just, let's just do the thing. And, and then the people have in their big, what are you doing? Um, if they're like, no one's allowed to heal on a Saturday except God, How, it's not like there was tons of people healing on other days of the week. That wasn't like they needed rules or, or you know, set up stations or something. It's that only God can heal on a Saturday. So if this guy just did it, you guys are missing the math. They're you know, it's like, this is actually really simple. This isn't a big, what? This is like, wait, what just happened here? Jesus is trying to say, actually, yes, I am. I am allowed to heal because I am actually. Yep. So it's just, it's thinking like, are there situations in my life where it's like, yeah, this is so frustrating. I just need this. It's not working. Is God standing in front of me going, trying to have this conversation with you about this thing that's the actual thing? And just hang on here, just just stop and, and let's try to have this conversation. So it's an encouragement to me to, to, to think of that. So,
1: anyway. meet yeah, you. Yeah.
3: This is a beautiful passage, uh, which I, I love. And uh, it once again emphasizes that Jesus is God. Yeah. And it's really cool uh, throughout the New Testament how many times Jesus comes up with this. He takes a different angle this time when he says... I am God, and, and, and it's very clear in his relationship with his father. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention was uh, that there were an awful lot of people that did not get healed. Yes. And it's important for us to realize that God doesn't see health as the most important thing in our life, and that he may use illness to help us get closer to him, and he often does. And uh, it's hard to accept that it's God's wish for me to be ill. But if God is God, he knows best. And it's important for us to realize that no matter how many people pray for us, it still may be God's will for us to be ill. Yeah. And uh, there's a couple of thoughts that...
1: My friend often says that God is more interested in His character than in His well-being, or in His yeah. happiness. It's mm-hmm. like, God is more interested in my character than my happiness. And he says that with distaste. <laughs> yeah.
2: So I just was reading in Leviticus this morning, because that's where my Bible reading guide took me, Leviticus 25. And it is the passage that describes the year of Jubilee. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And so... As God's describing that 50-year cycle of giving the land rest and people kind of putting down their work for a bit, it says in verse 17, do not take advantage of each other, but fear your God. I am the Lord your God. And echoing again what George has said about Christ is God. This is who we're talking about. And then, you know, having a clear idea of his agenda, what he is trying to do, what he is trying to address. He will heal when he wants to heal. I noticed again in this particular healing that the person didn't do anything, didn't know who Jesus was, didn't even have time to pick up his mat before he was healed. He didn't obey. He was healed. And then he got up. And he was just a part of that to demonstrate God's glory. Very cool.
0: I'm struck by the fact that he actually was asked to do something after because Jesus, says, you know, pick up your mat and walk. And we do think, oh, yeah, yeah, just, you know, clear the clear the area, dude. But really, he was asking him to like trust that this has really happened to you because you're going to give up your space. It's not prime real estate, because obviously it's not right in the front or you would have gotten in. But still, if you pick up your mat and walk away, someone else is going to take your spot and you're done. You're done laying around Bethesda. Oh, so you have to act like, I don't need this space anymore. I'm willing to walk away and give up my space. And so Jesus is like, here's the thing that you actually want. Now, trust me that I actually, that this is for real. So I found that fascinating. And so when, the, when he started getting some grief as he's walking, he was like, holy man, like this thing, I'm like, look, <laughs> my legs, right? Like, I'm, I'm just gonna carry it. He told me to carry it. I'm just gonna carry because this is awesome. You know, it wasn't just a technicality. That was what he was asked to do, is act like you don't need that space anymore. So,
1: That's interesting, because there you see the challenge uh, for him on which God he's going to worship. the The cultural, we don't carry things on the Sunday, or obedience to Jesus who told him. So you're, again, you're, yeah, you're stuck with that. You know, yeah, very interesting. Hey, let me offer a prayer. And um, we'll close the service, Father and Lord Jesus and Holy Spirit. All we can really say in response to this text is, "We praise you. Um, Jesus, this is truly incredible, and I thank you that I thank you that it was it's become clear that that people were not reacting. Kind of helter-skelter out of nowhere but they were suddenly being really challenged to consider who you were by what you were doing and that you responded with great kindness by saying i'm not challenging the father i am one with the father it's, it's beautiful jesus through our week as i have experienced when we hit those moments where we want to ask for help Please remind us how accessible you are, how available you are to talk with and to ask for help from. And your response is always going to be a version of trust and obey, trust and follow, do what I say. Yeah, Lord, just really thank you and I praise you. Thank you for this morning. We love you. Amen
0: thank you for listening to our podcast today new life ministries is located in winnipeg manitoba you are invited to join our service in person or over zoom please use the contact us link to send an email to the church office and request the address or zoom link if you would like to use these podcasts as part of your home church or local church gathering you are free to do so we do request that you let us know if there is any other way that we can help you in your ministry please send us an email.